Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. My guest this week really needs no introduction. Hello, my dear. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I love your glasses, Katie. Oh, thanks. That's right. It's Hillary Clinton. Among her many accolades, including the 2016 Democratic nominee for president, secretary of state, and lawyer, Hillary Clinton is an advocate, author, proud grandma, and podcaster. I'm Hillary Clinton, and this is You and Me Both, where I get into some of today's biggest questions with all kinds of amazing people. Madam Secretary, hey, I'm just going to call her Hillary, took time out of her busy schedule to talk with me about some of the issues that are top of mind right now, from the COVID vaccine and post-pandemic life to the spread of disinformation and policing in America. But we also spent some time discussing our personal stories, the ways they weirdly intersect, and why women have had such a hard time getting the respect they deserve at home and in the workforce, and why now may finally be the time society moves the needle on gender equality. Amen, Sister Katie. (laughs) I had such a good time with Hillary Clinton. I just loved our conversation so much, I didn't want it to end. So let's just get to it. Let me just start by asking Hillary Clinton, how the hell are you? (laughs) You know, all things considered, I'm knocking on wood as I answer you. Um, I'm great. I I have no complaints. Um, I've been home like so many of us uh, with only a few exceptions, uh, uh, several funerals and one presidential inauguration. but we've remained healthy. Uh, we've had uh, a great setup because our grandchildren, our daughter and son-in-law were nearby. So we got to spend time with them. You know, I, I am glad to see us, I hope, nearing the end of this pandemic. But personally, we are very, you know, very grateful. Well, you mentioned nearing the end. And my daughter, Ellie, is getting married in July. So fingers crossed. But 
I'm still <laughs> nervous. I'm yeah. still nervous yeah. about this reemergence. I'm worried mm-hmm. about variants. Um, it seems there's still a level of uncertainty. Um, and there's still people who are COVID deniers. I know. How have you been able to, or how are you wrapping your head around that? I am um, very sorry that um, the beginning of this pandemic was in effect cast as a political uh, challenge as opposed to a scientific and public health challenge. And what isn't these days, Hillary? Well, but that that didn't have to be. You're right. I mean, everything is being, you know, diced and chopped up and put into these pre-existing categories. But it turned into a culture war as opposed to, hey, we're all in this together. Let's get through it. Let's save as many lives as possible. Let's get everybody vaccinated. So I do share your concerns because it appears that there are significant parts of our population and chunks of our country that are reluctant or opposed to being vaccinated. Uh, But I am hoping that we will keep moving forward so that we get, you know, the vast majority of adults and then slowly kids uh, by early next year. But once we get the vast majority of adults, I certainly am going to breathe easier. Uh, But, you know, there... You know, I'm not sure poll? I'm going to do everything, but I am going to. You mean you know. you, in, in terms of like going to a, your usual yes. rave? Yeah, my usual rave, uh, including indoor restaurants. I think I'll take all that a little bit uh, slow, but I'm going to feel better about it. Well, as you say, it has been turned into a culture war. And I was shocked when I read that, according to one poll, 49 percent of Republican men are refusing to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Go figure, Katie. I mean, that is such a uh, sign of uh, our times, sadly, uh, that so many um, so many people, particularly uh, Republicans, are now very serious reality deniers. Um, Obviously, the pandemic is the biggest reality they deny, but they deny a lot of other realities as well. And I don't know what we're going to do other than, you know, keep making the case when it comes to the pandemic and keep winning elections when it comes to politics. I mean, there doesn't seem to be much else that will change their minds. I'm going to talk to you a little bit later, Hillary, about disinformation, misinformation Mm -hmm. and malinformation. But Mm -hmm. just just while we're on the subject of the pandemic, I recently interviewed uh, Sanjay Gupta, who told me a Harvard researcher told him that if for four weeks everybody just wore a high filtration mask when they went out in public. Uh, If everybody did that, it would have ended a pandemic. Right. In just four weeks. Right. Watching how this was managed. What were you thinking? I can only imagine. I I was shocked and appalled uh, at the way that uh, Trump and his White House um, and his enablers uh, treated the pandemic. And the uh, the, the secret uh, is that if he had done even a mediocre job on the pandemic, he could have been reelected because of the Electoral College. So he actually hurt his own reelection chances by pandering to the most radical uh, conspiracy theorists, deniers um, in his political ambit. And it cost a lot of lives. I think there have now already been several studies which showed not only what you said, Katie, that 
we could have really diminished the loss of life and hospitalization if we had all been serious about masking and social distancing and staying indoors for four weeks. But we also could have uh, caught up, even though we might have fumbled the start of it because this was a new phenomenon. A lot of people were uncertain and confused about it. But, you know, Trump just kept doubling down on uh, the falsehoods, calling it a hoax, uh, you know, telling people they could use bleach, uh, coming up with drugs that had no um, positive effect on the virus. On and on we go. And so it's fair to say that that his malfeasance in office and those who enabled him uh, were responsible for us having a higher death toll than I think we should have had. I think it was also difficult for people to witness science unfolding. Mm. You know, science mm -hmm. didn't immediately have all the answers. It was a work in progress because this was, you know, the key word being novel. Right. And I think that this uh, mistrust in science that already existed mm -hmm. was exacerbated by the nature of really understanding what was a complicated virus. Yes. Well, I think that's true. I think, though, we would have had a somewhat better response if when the scientists were basically saying, look, we're learning as we go. Uh, we're not sure we're going to have to try some things. We need more data. If there had been political leaders who had said, yeah, that's the way science operates. Science is a, you know, a learning phenomenon. You keep testing things. But instead, it was, oh, OK, well, they don't know anything. They don't know more than, you know, I know. So therefore, listen to me. And that became uh, a, a dead end because you're right. There was already a kind of anti-evidence, anti-fact, anti-science uh, feeling among certain people in our country. Anti-expertise that anti has been brewing absolutely. for some time. Yeah. And so there was a there was a uh, an unfortunate uh, amplifying of that by political leaders who themselves were either uh, deliberately, uh, you know, ignorant uh, and indifferent or malicious in the way that they treated science. So would you call it a massive failure of leadership? Of course, of course. I think that I think that the pandemic um, showed how important uh, deliberative, fact-based leadership is. And we can see that when we compare with the uh, Biden administration, how they're handling matters. And look, everybody's tired of being told to mask up and stay socially distanced. People are sick of it. They want to get on with their lives, especially people who have been vaccinated. But, you know, President Biden and his team keep modeling good uh, behavior and keep talking about the importance of getting vaccinated. And they hit some huge numbers in their first 100 days, 200 million shots. So the, the difference, I think, illustrates even more dramatically how inept and cruel uh, and ineffective and <laughs> deadly uh, the leadership of the Trump team was. When we come back, have things really changed for women? Hillary shares a revealing story from early in her career that honestly, I had never heard and I couldn't believe. That's right after this. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. 
That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When, yes. those, when those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. You're here already. No. no we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the natural hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Let's talk about kind of the long view of what's happening in this country, polarization and some other things that are really coming to a head, Mm -hmm. I think, or have been, I think, in the last three or four years. Mm -hmm. And, And I covered you when you first entered the national scene. I remember I did your very first interview <laughs> as first lady in 1993. Since we're outside the East Wing, I have to ask you, why did you decide to have an office in the West Wing of the White House when all the first ladies before you have worked out of the East Wing? Well, because uh, there are different functions that go with being involved in uh, uh, the activities of the first lady. You've been challenging the expectations of women in politics, and I think women in general, ever since. So thinking about that interview in 1993, even prior to that, the campaign where you were viewed a certain way um, and and became a, a lightning rod in many mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. to now, 2021. And I, I mean, it's just sort of unbelievable. It's almost 30 years. Right. Do you think things have changed for women? And I wonder if you're going to tell me yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's the right answer. I think that, yes, absolutely. And 
for the better. Uh, a lot more barriers have been broken. Opportunities have been opened. Uh, so many women have pursued their dreams against odds, but demonstrated they could be overcome. On the global uh, scale, uh, we can look at the increase in, in girls going to school and um, women's health care improving. And, and there's a lot of positive uh, indicators that progress has been made. At the same time, uh, we know there still is a double standard. Uh, we know that women are still judged um, almost in a, uh, a, a primeval way uh, based on expectations and stereotypes as to what is expected or should be expected of women. We know that um, there has been a backlash um, that has uh, been complicated, but nevertheless real in terms of um, kind of undermining women's confidence and women's sense of um, autonomy and agency. Uh, and we know that the pandemic has disproportionately impacted women, both in the 2. United 5 States. Million, 2.5 million women lost have left their jobs. the workforce. Yeah. And people say this is setting us back decades. Well, I think if it continues, that's exactly the case, because why did they leave? Well, some lost their jobs, but some couldn't keep their jobs because they had no child care. The schools were not open. Uh, there was a crisis uh, that women faced in our country and around the world between uh, their uh, work lives and their family uh, lives and personal responsibilities. And it was a uh, huge uh, disruption to the uh, involvement of women in the paid workforce. Uh, we've seen uh, a lot of evidence of increased intimate uh, domestic violence uh, within families. In other parts of the world, we've seen an increase in child marriage because you know, the economy shut down, families didn't have money. They were back to, you know, offering their daughters uh, into marriage as child brides. So we know that there's going to be um, a, a steep curve coming out of this pandemic. Uh, and a lot of people talk about how, oh, my gosh, the economy is going to take off like it did over the oh, after the last huge uh, influenza in 1918 in 1918. So we had the roaring 20s coming out of what was a two year uh, struggle. And at that time, and I think there will be um, a, a burst of economic activity. But I think we have to watch carefully as to whether that includes women being able to get back on their feet economically, get back into the workforce and be supported. And I'm thrilled that finally People are talking about caregiving as a part of the economy, not as a family related service, but as deeply interconnected with our economic prosperity. And I'm hoping that whatever comes of the infrastructure uh, debate in Washington, that it includes a recognition that child care and the kind of supporting through paid family leave that. Uh, we don't have in our country on a broad scale. The only industrialized nation that doesn't have Ab it, that absolutely. doesn't mandate it. Yep. And and I think, you know, it's going to be interesting, Katie, to see whether the shock of the pandemic wears off quickly without much learning from it 
Uh, so we go back to our old ways. We don't invest in public health. We don't invest in science and research. We don't invest in the caring economy or whether people will finally say, you know what, we can't let this happen again, because sure enough, every scientist says, you know, there's all kinds of crazy you know, viruses out there in the animal population and most likely another will jump to us. So let's get ready. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe we're still talking about this, you know, <laughs> um, and, and 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 I don't know what it'll take to move the needle to kind of have this kind of a similar reckoning that we've seen in other social issues, because I think uh, for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem to break through. But maybe maybe this will shake some people up and make the need for, uh, you know, paid family leave and childcare, and also just attitudes about the division of labor in the mm -hmm. home. You yes. know, a lot of that can't be fixed by policy. It mm -hmm. has to be fixed by attitudes and behavior. Mm -hmm. Melinda Gates, as you know, said women do an average at like seven more years of child rearing and housework duty and just the business of taking care of a home than men do. Right. I do think, I don't know about Mark and Chelsea, but I do think that this generation of parents now, these are obviously in a certain subset of privileged people, but they're starting to understand that if it doesn't take a village to raise the chi a child, <laughs> it definitely takes a, a, a mother and a father. Well, we could we don't want to necessarily get into a traditional nuclear family, but it can't all fall on the working woman to do the additional amount of work that it takes raising a child. Amen. Amen, Sister Katie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Preach. A hundred percent right. And I do think there is um, a recognition and even a little bit of movement in the right direction when it comes to um, sharing uh, labor around the house and particularly with respect to uh, child rearing. But I want to go back to what you said about whether or not this is going to make an impression. And it really it's going to depend upon how people talk about America's future, what kind of future we want to have together. And I've become increasingly convinced over the last year, while I've had a lot of time on my hands, that we need we need a new American story that includes everybody um, and gives you know proper respect to everybody's role in our society, like the essential workers. What would we have done without people showing up to work in our hospitals, showing up to work in our grocery stores and our pharmacies and all the other essential services that they uh, performed? And so it's incumbent upon all of us, but particularly people not, not only with a voice, but people who are in the public uh, arena to be talking about that new future we want. So if you take pa paid family leave, I mean, the opposition to it has always been, you know, that will undermine the family. Uh, nobody hurt business, right? Yes, hurt business. Hurt business. And why should people without children be taxed to help people with children? I mean, all of these kinds of arguments. Well, I think if you've got uh, smart uh, political leadership and public voices out there saying, I think we just now learned how interconnected we really are. And it is about helping everybody because it's in everybody's interest that we do so. We're just going to have to tell a different story because the old story is being 
just so distorted and undermined and for good reason in some areas, but also for nefarious reasons uh, by people who you know want to turn the clock back uh, or people who want to ignore everything that happened in the past. I mean, there's a middle ground here about, yes, are we a perfect nation? Absolutely not. Have we accomplished a lot that we should be proud of and build on? Absolutely. Yes. So how are we going to do that together and go forward from there? I don't even necessarily want to go back to 2016, but just listening to you uh, and your common sense rhetoric, and uh, (laughs) I don't even want to call it rhetoric, but, um, you know, views, I I think I would be so bitter about 2016, Hillary, and so angry. And and look, look what we got. Um, Have you been able to kind of I know you wrote a book and mm-hmm. but but still do, do you do you still kind of wake up and think what the hell happened how could this happen I am still so pissed <laughs> I cuz yeah. I don't know I'm not a very generous person and I would be so bitter I just would Well I I certainly have those moments when I just have to either figuratively or literally smack my forehead. Like, you know, how did this happen? Uh, And every day that goes by and we learn more. And I think eventually, Katie, a lot more will come out. I mean, just in this past week, we learned what I assumed. And I think most uh, fair minded people did that, you know, the Trump campaign was sharing their polling with the Russians. Now, why would they do that? They were doing it because they were targeting and they were very um, clearly targeting based on polling and other uh, analytical information from Cambridge Analytica and others to discourage voters, suppress voters, change voters' minds. We know all of that. And we're going to find out more. Um, I try really hard not to go down that rabbit hole because I did write a book and obviously uh, I've moved on with my life except to try to understand what are the lessons. And so mm-hmm. when uh, the 2020 campaign was upon us, starting in you know, 2019, uh, nearly every Democrat running, not all, but nearly every uh, Democrat either came to see me in person or called me to talk with me. And you know, I tried to you know, alert them uh, to the disproportionate impact that social media has in favor of uh, the right wing, the Republican Party, their associates, and how they had to be constantly monitoring that. It kind of took us by surprise, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we learned in, you know, retrospect, um, all of the lies and the crazy stories and everything that were going was going on, particularly on Facebook. So I I tried to alert all of the uh, campaigns and I had some really good conversations with a number of the candidates. I also tried to underscore how important it was, especially uh, when we had flipped uh, governorships and secretaries of state in the 2018 election to zero in on voter suppression. Uh, So I've tried to put my own um, learning uh, and my disappointment from what happened in 2016 uh, to work on behalf of uh, causes and candidates that I, you know, support. Because, as I say, I don't even think we have a full understanding yet. I want to see the unredacted Mueller report. 
Uh, I want to see additional intelligence, like what we learned uh, when uh, the Russian agent uh, Kalimnik was sanctioned uh, just this mm -hmm. past week by the new Treasury Department about what the Russians were doing. I want to keep digging into the connections with uh, Cambridge Analytica, WikiLeaks and others because because people listening to this right now are going to be like, give it up, woman. No, it's all about the future. It's all about the future because we are under constant cyber attack. Our government and all of our agencies are, our businesses are, individuals are, and our political system has been. Uh, and, you know, if people are willing to give up our freedom and our sovereignty, fine. You know, it's okay if that's what they want. Uh, I think that would be a beyond dreadful mistake, however. Do you think, do you think, Hillary, that, that Putin had something or has something on President Trump? Do you think it was a larger sort of desire to um, upend confidence in democracy? Or do you think it was a craven desire on the part of the Trump campaign to win at any cost? Or was it a confluence of all these things? I think it was a confluence. I think that, uh, you know, Putin... And as I write in my book about the election, what happened, understood a few years ago that he couldn't compete economically, he couldn't compete strategically, but he could compete tactically with the United States, uh, both in its, you know, its nearby regions like Ukraine, uh, but also in uh, cyber uh, warfare. And there were, you know, there were documents written by uh, Russian military planners basically laying this out. And it was designed to upend confidence in our democracy, to make us distrust each other, uh, to inject even more divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And that that was a strategy uh, that was going to, you know, make the United States weaker. Uh, well, it's worked, hasn't it's, it, it? It has worked. And the idea that there are, unfortunately, people in public life, you know, leading with Trump, who, for whatever reason, uh, identify with Putin, uh, identify with his um, approach to governing and his ruthlessness toward the press, toward political opposition, uh, is is very uh, surprising to me. And especially since most of it's coming from the Republican Party that used to have a uh, a much more skeptical view about authoritarianism. Or a leader who believes he can accomplish more through division than than uniting. Exactly. The country, exactly. Right? Yeah. Well, that that is his strategy, obviously. Yeah. Let's let's talk about um, just one thing that happened, which I actually I'm embarrassed to say I hadn't really thought about this or observed it. Uh, until I was preparing for this podcast, but it's something that you've talked about recently following the election was the so-called erasure of Hillary Clinton. And I was shocked that you were not on the list of honorees for the 2017 Women's March protesting Trump, an event that was in large part inspired <laughs> by your presidential run and loss. How do you explain that? Oh, I don't. I, I don't even try to explain that. Um, it, because you're right, it it the idea generated with people who had supported me, but it turned out fine. I mean, it was the biggest uh, global protest uh, in history, and 
But it must be galling on some level, a little bit, right? I no, mean, no, I mean, that, I, that stuff doesn't bother me. I mean, you know, um, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people were really upset by the 2016 election. They still are. I mean, I'm constantly reading um, how people are still unresolved and, and, and mournful about it. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is, in human nature, as well as body politic. I mean, we don't want to look back. We want to move forward. And so how do we best move forward? My only caveat to that is move forward, learning the lessons of the past, or we are doomed to repeat them. And that's what I've tried to stay focused on. You have been watching very carefully how Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, is being covered. And you're seeing some of the same sexist tropes that uh, many people talked about in um, 2008 and 2016. And I'm curious, how does the repetition of all these tropes ultimately frame women as the other? And and how can we make people more aware of the, you know, the, the impact of really years of cultural conditioning? I've studied this a lot, implicit mm-hmm. bias, how our brains are wired to make connections and how it's very hard to shake these perceptions with all the incoming images and and um, you know messages we receive from the time you know from the time we're infants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, do do you still feel that that coverage of of at this point our first female vice president is being um, affected by all of this still in 2021? I think it is. But again, I I really believe that um, the election of Vice President Harris was such a turning point in our history. Um, There are those who are still living in the past, who use stereotypical typecasting, who uh, are unable to really embrace this enormous political historic event. But I think a lot of the uh, negative coverage now is more focused from the uh, political partisan opposition. I do think that the so-called mainstream press and and others have learned some lessons from what I went through in 08 and 2016. I think they're more aware and, and there are more people uh, on uh, like broadcast television, cable television, um, on online, who call others out. So mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the opposition or the you know the gendered uh, negative language that is being used toward the vice president is wrapped up in partisan, political, ideological disagreements. Which you know that's something that unfortunately we have to live with. Uh, that's part of the political system. But I think that at least so far, and I'm thrilled about this, um, she's had a a much fairer um, press coverage than might have been the case for eight or 12 years ago. I think some of that has to do with all the factors you mentioned, also representation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really very much the result of the Me Too and Time's Up movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you and I have also witnessed a seismic shift in how sexual harassment, sexism writ large, um, you know, I think all those things have been 
viewed thanks to, you know, those hashtags. Mm -hmm. And what have you taken away from these movements? And, And looking back, would you have done anything differently? You know, I think it's a, it's a, an incredibly significant evolution. And it, it's always difficult to look back because, you know, I think you and I entered the workforce at such a different time. And the idea that, uh, you know, we were, we're going to be able to uh, uh, dismiss or object to every you know, sexist, sexist, misogynistic comment that was made to us. And, you know, for me in a courtroom or a, a, a lawyer setting for you in a you know TV studio or broadcast booth, whatever, it, it just was not on the radar. I mean, it just, you know, you sucked it up and you kept going. You just had a view that you were lucky to be in the position you were in and you were going to make the most of it. And yeah, these guys were idiots and they, but, but you were not going to let it, you know, knock you off course. And, and I think what's been really a huge change and all to the good is that younger women, you know, said to themselves after watching the struggles of their mothers or their grandmothers or their aunts or their big sisters, no, if more of us speak out, if we have a hashtag, if we call it for what it is, there is strength in numbers. You don't have to deal with this on your own. Um, so I, I think that it was a sea change in part because social media enabled it. You know, you couldn't get on TV and say, you know, Joe Smith is a total sexist pig, but you could get on social media. And you were free to say that and other people could chime in. So the combination of a new understanding of empowerment and uh, agency combined with social media um, made it all possible. And aren't aren't we, you know, aren't we lucky? I've learned a lot from my daughters Mm -hmm. about this. And, you know, they're 25 and 25 and 29, uh-huh. and even writing my book, you know, I talked about in the 90s and early 2000s, how you dealt with inappropriate behavior by laughing it off. Like there were all these different strategies you'd mm-hmm. have to employ. And Ellie said to me, why, why is it up to the woman to mm-hmm. figure out how to deal with this? Mm-hmm. And I well, was because like, often you were the only woman. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. I, re- I remember when I was working 100 years ago for Jimmy Carter. In his presidential campaign, I was in Indiana uh, working on get out the vote and the the groups that were going to help with get out the vote uh, were not, you know, doing what we wanted them to do. So we we said we we're going to have a meeting and I was the only woman at the table. There were probably, if I remember correctly, like nine men. And uh you know, I I was with my talking points. I said, look, you know, we need we need measurements. We need to know what you're doing. We need to, you know, have reporting and accountability. And literally a man reached across the table, grabbed me by my turtleneck and just twisted it around and said, you don't tell us what to do and then let it go. Now, what was I, you know, what I mean, I had a job to do, try to get Jimmy Carter elected. Uh, that was those were in the days when he thought he could carry Indiana. Um, and, you know, none of these other men thought there was anything wrong with this guy threatening me. 
and and telling me that, you know, I had no business telling them as a representative of the Carter Mondale campaign what they were expected to do. What what was my remedy? You know, I mean, so so I understand, you know, your daughters, my daughter, young women who are, you know, now we had no outlet. You know, if 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 social media had been around at that time, I could have immediately gone on Twitter or Facebook or whatever and said, there's a big problem in Indianapolis because the men there don't want to listen to a woman tell them what they needed to do to get out the vote. But that was it, you know. So circumstance, you know, everything is kind of converged in a way that makes it possible for these other voices to be heard. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're talking about policing in America, something that seems to be in the headlines every single day. What is the solution? That's right after this. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it, Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. When those legends get here, let me know. <laughs> you're here. You're here already. No. Uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The thing. That's we the didn't problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. Were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how oh. lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. I'd like to move on to the killings of black men and women. Mm -hmm. Recently, a 16-year-old girl in Columbus, Ohio. I think 
these have brought the movement for racial justice in policing to a boiling mm-hmm. point. Uh, it's a very explosive situation. And before we just sort of talk about solutions, because I want to focus on solutions, I just wanted to hear your reaction when I'm sure you were glued to news about mm-hmm. the Derek Chauvin, Chauvin right. uh, verdict. Were you surprised? Were you relieved? Tell, take me back to that moment and what you were feeling. I, I was relieved, Katie. You know, um, right before the verdict, I was actually doing a, uh, a Zoom seminar with students at Georgetown University. And, you know, we were talking about all sorts of issues. And I said, you know, within the hour, we're going to get the verdict in the Derek Chauvin Uh, murder trial. And I said, you know, I haven't practiced law in a long time, but I watched, you know, practically all of the trial and the evidence is overwhelming. And I can only hope and pray that uh, the jury will follow the evidence. Uh, But I had my doubts. I was, you know, like a lot of other people concerned that other factors would weigh more heavily. So when the verdict came in with guilty uh, uh, convictions on all three counts, I was deeply relieved. I thought that the attorney general of Minnesota, Keith Ellison, the, the prosecutorial team that he put together presented one of the best prosecutions I've ever seen. And particularly given the fact that the defendant had been a police officer at the time of the incident, The way that they artfully said, this is not about what the police did. This is about what Derek Chauvin did. Uh, They really did all they could think of to do to preempt all of the doubts people have about, well, what will it mean for my, my future safety and the safety of my family and my community if we start telling police officers that they can't do things and then, you know, holding them criminally liable. So relief, huge relief, um, was my overwhelming, uh, response. And again, I would just underscore how it was technology in the hands of ordinary citizens that made that possible. If this had not been recorded, if this had happened at night somewhere that there were no bystanders, there would not have probably even been a prosecution. But forcing the world to watch that nearly 10 minute uh, strangulation uh, of Mr. Floyd meant nobody could look away. Similarly, with what just happened in Columbus, there's also video Um, that has made just the biggest difference imaginable in whether or not we can hold police accountable where they should be. Yes, but there was video with Rodney King and there was a very, very different outcome. So I I think the video, I think you're totally right that Mm -hmm, that has mm -hmm. been absolutely that that is the most irrefutable evidence. Yeah. But it's been more than that, hasn't it? It's been an awakening of this happening time and time and time again, so many times without the benefit of videotape to memorialize the incident. I I think the Rodney King example is a very 
useful example because the video was almost an isolated incident, right? What we have now is several years of video and we have too many cases that have gotten uh, to the public attention, whereas before they used to be uh, pretty much uh, swept under the rug. Um, so I do think that it is fair to say that the number of cases in quick succession that did have some public airing where people stepped forward and said, I saw it or here I even have a cell phone video of it just became in aggregate too much to ignore. The, the George Floyd case prompted such an outpouring because it was so egregious. I mean, the look on Chauvin's face, you know, his hand in his pocket when the defense lawyer tried to imply that, you know, Chauvin was worried because of people gathering on the sidewalk. I've never seen a worried person have their hands in their pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, there was just so much about that that was emblematic of uh, a, a behavior that had to be held accountable. So what can be done about policing in America? I mean, you, we have Columbus. We have what happened in Minneapolis. Um, I'm just curious. There what? I think 30 states have passed 140 laws. Mm -hmm. uh, what? How do we solve this? I mean, yes, it's systemic racism, but is it training? Is it not getting the right caliber of people. And I do believe that in some ways, police officers are, I don't want to say victims, but are the result of systemic racism and the kind of cultural conditioning that we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier. I mean, how do we fix this? I think defund the police from a branding perspective strikes fear in the hearts of mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? We've got to come up with some solutions. What are they? Well, that is the most important uh, question, Katie. And I honestly believe that despite the terrible pattern uh, of police um, killings of unarmed uh, people, that we were beginning to have uh, a sense of what could be done uh, in the Obama administration, you know, after uh, the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, President Obama uh, put together a policing commission. It had advocates, it had experienced police officers, criminologists, others. They came up with a, a set of recommendations. Uh, and the Justice Department and local attorneys, generals, and others were, I think, taking that seriously because no one wants to paint every police officer as uh, a bad person. That's just, you know, ri ridiculous. That's not the way that this needs to be addressed. There needs to be a focus on recruitment, promotion, training, accountability, all of that. Uh, and there are good ideas out there. But unfortunately, during the four years of the Trump administration, you had a, pre a Trump with a president. You had someone who basically told the police they could do anything they wanted, you know, rough them up, you know, knock them around, he, you know, basically shut down the Justice Department as being the vehicle for trying to work with local departments to implement changes. So I saw where 
uh, the new attorney general, Merrick Garland, uh, is going mm-hmm. to be looking at uh, policing in Minneapolis or in Minnesota because we had that recent killing when the officer said she reached for a taser, pulled out her gun, shot a guy for a tr- another traffic stop, which, you know, is something that we got to take a hard look at. So I am actually hopeful that with mm-hmm. uh, a new attorney general and an administration who wants to work with the police, you know, Joe Biden, who I've worked with for a very long time as first lady, uh, as a senator, as secretary of state when he was vice president, he was a huge supporter of police. He used to get all kinds of awards from the fraternal order of police. He used to go to every one of their you know, banquets and ceremonies. He has a deep understanding of the importance of good policing. But I think he also has a deep sense of responsibility to try to fix what is clearly broken. So I'm actually hopeful that that can happen. Do you think the Democratic Party has become too woke for America? Or do you think that's an okay thing? And in some ways, are we hopelessly polarized? And should we stop worrying about that? (laughs) Well, I, I... I don't want to stop worrying about polarization, but I want to put the responsibility where it mostly belongs. And that is on the Republican Party, because they have become almost a caricature of a far right uh, white supremacy uh, driven organization that tries to upend our elections, which pledges fealty to an authoritarian wannabe So I think that if I'm looking at where we are politically in our country right now, I am deeply worried that we have one political party that has thrown its lot in with the worst conspiracy theorists and the most outlandish lies about uh, not just their opponents politically, but about so much that goes on in our country. In the Democratic Party, it still is a much bigger tent. You know, there are you know, people from, you know, right to left within the center left of the Democratic Party. Has it gotten too progressive to appeal to sort of moderate Democrats who who may not be ready for defunding the police and other measures? That's not a policy of the Democratic Party. Let me quickly uh, point that out. Are there people who are either in or associated with the Democratic Party who uh, have uh, touted that. Yeah, but that is a small, absolutely minimalistic position. But I think the party has been kind of tarred by that phrase in some ways. I I don't think I don't think so. I think that people who uh, promote that are such a, a small part of not just the Democratic Party, but obviously of society. That's not really indicative of uh, where the you know, the center of the Democratic Party is. Um, And so I think the Democrats have to be very clear about what the bulk of the party stands for, what individual candidates stand for. But I think the real danger to our country right now is from the Republican Party, which has refused uh, to uh, stand up to the craziness that is uh, promoted by Trump and his allies. And it's only getting worse. And it is aided and abetted uh, by, you know, a whole network, Fox Network and other, you know, you know, 
baby networks that are coming uh, to the forefront. You know, the Democrats have nothing like that. The the ecosystem that the Republicans have built and that is self-reinforcing um, is, I think, a, a very big danger. And it is the source of so much of the polarization. I mean, if you can't look at the facts about this election and yes, disagree with the outcome, be sorry that your guy didn't win, but say, yeah, you know, we had all these states and they all did these tests and they they had to, you know, certify the election and we had all these lawsuits. No, no, we still want to overturn the election. I mean, that's tin pot dictatorship stuff. So I'm much more worried about what's happened to the Republican Party right now. Hillary Clinton, thanks so much for for talking to us about all these issues. No one more fascinating to discuss them with than you. And and we will really we'll continue the it. conversation, Katie. OK, another time, either with or without a mic. Yes, we will. I look forward to that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Hillary. Take care. A gigantic thank you to former Secretary of State, presidential candidate, and all-round baller badass Hillary Clinton. You can catch her podcast, You and Me Both, on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements, Adriana Fazio, and Emily Pinto. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at katiecouric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today.